Welcome to Best Health, presented by the Royal Gazette and RG Mags, a new podcast series with the best health expertise in Bermuda. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Let's Just Kiss and Say Goodbye. I'm Dr. Stanley James from the Premier Health and Wellness Center. Today we will deal with deadly addictions and how to slay the dragon. Are you losing control sometimes and don't know what to do? That there are things that are taking over your body, your mind, and your appetite, and quietly you're resigning as one who's lost a battle? Or is what you're eating actually eating you? Have you ever wondered why you cannot stop? It may be time to just kiss and say goodbye. Or are your habits and lifestyle that started off with just kicking with your friends and getting high, but now you find yourself struggling and you're very low? Or perhaps you're in a high-priced job and you live in penthouses and travel around the world and nobody knows about your secret addiction. Or maybe you are just a person that walks around casually every day and sugar has got you high and it's taking you low. Have you ever driven past a graveyard and wondered who arrived at their destination too soon and could have still been enjoying their quality of life? Well, today we're going to deal with this thing called addictions. Last week we approached the subject, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I've had to come to my place in my life called rock bottom, a place where you discovered that life has become unmanageable in a particular area. And wherever that area is, you've discovered you need something else, some higher power. Today, I've invited a very close friend of mine, Mr. Kirk Richards. Kirk has distinguished himself in Bermuda in the area of construction with the Homemade Construction Company. He's also distinguished himself as working in the career in corrections, where he served as a prison officer. Now he sits in a very uh, coveted seat as an administrator in the Corporation of Hamilton, but one thing about Kirk, he's always willing to tell the story, not how high he's, he is, but how low he came from. Welcome today, Kirk. I'm so glad to have you here to join us on Let's Just Kiss and Say Goodbye today. How are you? Good afternoon, Dr. James. How are you doing? Very good. How you feel? 70 pounds lighter. 70 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kirk always wants to report of how well he's doing with his weight loss. And tell us about it. How, how is that going? It's going very well. You know, a year and a half ago, I came to, I had a whole pile of health challenges, weight all over the place, my blood pressure was high, no energy. What does it feel like when your life is out of control with diet? You're just eating. Like, you know, because I had money, making money, and, you know, every time I felt time to go get it, whether it was two chicken legs, whether it was macaroni and cheese, peas and rice, coleslaw. Were you always big, kind of heavy set? Um, my weight got out of control, my early years of construction, messing around with drugs. You know, I had a stink with heroin, cocaine, marijuana, drank a lot of alcohol. I roughed myself up and body just went out of control. So you found that the addiction wasn't only to food, you actually struggled with addiction to substances. Yes. And when you're using it, you're not eating, but when you take a break from the drugs, you, you would eat like an elephant. Mm. You know, sometimes, when, depending on how much drugs you use, you just won't eat for a day or two. Are you comfortable sharing this with us uh, about what that was like when you were actually using drugs? 
Yeah, I, I, I love to talk about it because I love to know that it's going to help somebody to say, man, if that guy did it, I I can do it. But I, I have to emphasize that God was the victory for me when I gave up drugs. Tell me what it was like in terms of money. Were you running out of money? Did it affect your money? Because I, I work construction, I just work seven days a week. So my paycheck, my paychecks was always you know, between $800 and $1,200 a week. So I, I function pretty good as far as getting my drugs. So it's possible for people to be functionally, like, doing well, but really not doing well in terms of the addiction. Yeah. I, I was a functioning drug addict. Didn't break in houses. I didn't steal. I didn't rob nobody. Didn't chop nobody up for it. Because I made the money, you know, I can go to somebody and say, hey, let me $150 into pity. I knew my check, I would work for my check to take care of my drug habit. And um, how expensive did the drug habit become? I made $1,200 a week and that's how I, I lived. Mm. $1,200 every week. I didn't save nothing. You was going pretty much just to the dope man and just doing what you had to do. Right. And because I, I had a line of credit where he knew I would pay him or sometimes I might get a, a drug dealer who wanted to work on his house and he say, hey, Kirk, listen, man, I need two vendors put in. And I'll say, well, don't pay me. Give me this amount of cocaine or give me this amount of heroin and I'll put the vendors in for you. Mm. How did it make you feel as a person when you were out of control? You, you know you're out of control, Doc, but you also feel you're in control. Mm. I paid my electricity bill, paid my rent, you know, bought my groceries and everything. So I was out of control, but I, I felt I had control because of I was a functioning drug addict. See, mm -hmm. I think you have what you call a functioning drug addict. And then doc, you could look around Bermuda, you could go and say that's an out of control drug addict. Mm. So um, was it embarrassing or was it just because you were hiding it? How did it feel to be hiding it? I have a lot of pride about myself, so... I kind of hit it well, mm. and it was only a few people knew what I was into. Right. Only a few, but I, I hit it very well. Wow. Because I went work every day. People would see me and they say, no, man, I can't be on drugs, man, I works every day. So, I, and I always, like I said, had a lot of pride about myself, so I always dressed good. I always went and got my haircuts, and I did all those things. Mm. And, and so, while you were uh, addicted, what was it, alcohol? Was it marijuana? What was your drug of choice? My, my, Drug of choice was alcohol and cocaine mm. because when I was drinking the alcohol, the cocaine would level it out and depending on how much cocaine if I drink the alcohol, it would level it out. And you would use it every day? Um, I would probably say Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. Okay, so that was, um, did you feel bad about yourself? Did you feel, or do you just good, feel good about it? For me, it, it was... It was a good feeling, you know. I had some, I had some pains in life, growing up. You know, um, my daddy left him at a at a young age, and my mom had four young children. Um, she did she did the the best she could with us, and um, I had a brother that two brothers that played football were very good, and I had a sister who was the number one netball player in Bermuda, and. I was probably the black sheep, Dr. James, in the family. So I, I didn't really get a lot of tension at home. And how did that make you feel? You, 
the 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 drug life and the alcohol kind of hit it, and I think that's why I I use so much of it. It it hit a lot of the pain. So, are you? Do you think that beneath a lot of these addictions that people have could be the feelings like you had, like I didn't feel good about myself? I think when we look at a lot of the drug problems in Bermuda, they are deep family problems. Are the rejected by parents like I I'm not going to say my mom rejected me but I'm going to say my brothers and my sister got more attention than me mm-hmm. so you know was your daddy there no my daddy my daddy weren't there um like I said he left when I was probably about four or five um and I and I and I mean this respectfully I don't have no good memories of my daddy but I when he died I used to tell him all the time, listen, man, I love you. I want you to know I love you. I love you. Just don't worry about me. I have a good family. I I, I wanted him to die in peace. So mm-hmm. I always tell him, you know, listen to me, man. I love you. Just just take care of yourself. I also want to acknowledge you because you're an excellent father. Something I've always noticed, your attention that you give your son, it's so comfortable. His his self-esteem, his dignity, his He's not rude or disrespectful. He's very respectful. I just want to acknowledge you uh, being a good father, especially since you say you never had one. So just because a person doesn't have one doesn't mean that they can't be one, and I think you're a great example of that. Uh, we opened the discussion talking about your food addiction and then really moved on to how you actually had addiction with alcohol and cocaine. When did you hit rock bottom? I, I would probably say I hit rock bottom when my daughter was born. Um, I went to see her one time, and her mother told me, you will never, ever see this child in that condition. And that was the, the best thing, Dr. James, that ever happened to me when my daughter's mother told me she was pregnant. I was still hitting the drugs heavy. I was still drinking heavy. And... She left me. That that's when my world fell apart. Um, I did go through about six or seven months of excruciating pain, Doc. Um, never suicidal, because I, I don't think I'm that type of person. So I was never suicidal. Let me be very clear of that. But I drank a bit more, and I was using more cane, more cocaine than that. But I I work with this seven day Adventist Christian man. Now, before you get to your treatment plan and your resolution, I want to get to how dark it got. Uh, when you were in the throes of alcohol, cocaine, did you degrade yourself, trying to be a clown, trying to fit in, trying to get acceptance from guys, trying to out drink? I mean, because right now we're talking about an esteem issue, in which you really didn't feel. Like you're good enough, even before you got into the drugs, which is influenced maybe by your brother and sister's relationship and the absence of your father. So it wasn't just simply, okay, this person is using alcohol or that Kirk was actually using cocaine. It's really Kirk was hurting a long time and cocaine and alcohol might have begun to ease that pain, Mm. but became an addiction to meet another need. So I want to explore a little bit more about that deeper need and what it drove you to for acceptance and recognition that you didn't get from your parents. So the real issue is you're thirsting to belong yeah. and to be. Drugs is meeting that need, but it's also spilling over and degrading you. So tell me about that. When I was really into my cocaine, I, I got hooked up with some guys that were good football players. I'm, I'm not going to use their names because we're very good friends today. 
And some of them are still strung out on drugs, Dr. James. Mm-hmm. And um, I ran away to a wedding with him one time, a big wedding. And that's when I, I felt accepted, you know, women came in the picture playing with women, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They, they go together, Dr. James. Okay, so these addictions were all pulling together. And uh, it, so it dragged you down to a point where you remember one thing in particular. And what was that? In the middle of it, I was really enjoying it. There was playing with women. There was party. So your wife left you. My girlfriend. Your girlfriend left My you. My daughter's mama. And that was a breaking point. Uh, almost sent me off the DBM when she left me because I didn't see mm-hmm. her coming. And uh, this happens a lot of times where people realize that they're losing control and they don't know what to do. And they hit something that says, I'm at rock bottom. For some people, it's a heart attack when they realize that their binge eating has driven them to emergency room. For another person, it may be a cancer diagnosis. They realize that smoking has led them to a place where they... Yeah, we, we lived together and she put me out. And I, I lived in a bus stop, a bus shelter across from Willowbank. I lived in this bus shelter for about three days before I found an apartment. Mm. And I would have to get up early before people cross and see me sleeping. I would stash my stuff in trash bags. And um, mm-hmm. I found an apartment after three days. No money in the bank, no way to pay the deposit. But my uncle knew the guy who owned the apartment and my uncle vouched for me because he didn't know I was even on there. So what did you do when you reached that point where you realized as we talked about last week, you came to a point where you admitted that you were powerless over your addiction. When I was homeless, I, I, I didn't see that coming, Dr. James. That was a, that was a, that was a terrible time in my life when I, I sat in this bus shelter and I remember crying. Like, again, I didn't feel suicidal enough. And I was like, man, where am I? I was totally embarrassed to know that I'm sitting in this bus shelter, nowhere to go. Got to go behind the bus shelter to pee. Got to go in the tree to use the bathroom. Mm. That was a that was a terrible point in my life. So it was at that point in time that you came to believe that a power greater than you was necessary to yes. restore you to sanity. Tell me about that journey. I worked with this guy, Morton Williams, as a seven day Adventist, and every every Friday when I got paid, Doctor James, I would give more than twenty dollars. And I would tell him, put in the collection plate for me. Mm. I didn't know what I meant by doing that, but if you know more, he would tell you that. And then one time he said to me, man, bring that money to your church and put in the, the collection plate yourself. But I remember going to work on this Monday, and I said, Morty, that's it, man. I said, Morty, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping in a bus shelter. And he was like, man, I'm only got a two-bedroom apartment. I've got three children. I can't even help you. And I'm, um, like I said, I found an apartment. And he invited me to church this Saturday, and, and I went, never never to turn back, Dr. James. So it was church for you. For other people, it's an AA meeting. For someone else, it may be a, a, another group. Uh, but you kind of had to surrender to something bigger. So church is a building. Church, it could be people. But what was it in the experience of church that gave you access to a power that medication, drugs, willpower, and discipline therapy could not do. The first Sabbath, Sabbath or Saturday to some people, when I went to church, 
the preacher's sermon was called, You're a Whore. And by the time he got halfway through the sermon, I remember walking down the front of all the people that knew of the Psalms Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I was crying and saying, man, you got to baptize me now. I don't want to leave her as a whore no more. Please baptize mm -hmm. me. And that was the, the turning point for me. But what happened in that encounter? Because, no, I mean, I don't think everybody has to go to your church. What What is the encounter that is transformational? Because, uh, so you came to a point, like we said in step one, which is my life is unmanageable. Number two, when you discovered that you were a whore, the pastor also told you that there's somebody that's chosen you as a whore to make you his bride. He, I remember in his sermon, he said, only God can change you from being a whore. And he weren't using the word whore as a, as a sexual term. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah I get it. Yeah. But this point in your life where you're powerless, you needed to be loved and valued despite that. I think that's the way he was saying God can, and in his appeal, he was saying things like, God can stop you from being a whore. God can take your drug addiction. God can give you a wife. God can give you your children back. Mm. God, everything was God can do this and God can do that. And I was like, mercy, man. Never heard that before in my life. So like the step two point that we mentioned earlier, it is that you came to a point to believe that a power greater than yourselves could restore you to sanity. That preacher gave you faith in a power greater than you. Because we're in a Western world, that is driven by science and that removes the notion that there is spirituality or there is power outside, there's a greater thinking. This type of discussion is uncomfortable, it's off limits, and it's pushed away. But many people have found the hope and resilience in believing that there's something bigger, no matter what you call it, but you need to be able to turn your will over to something bigger. Mm -hmm. So number one, you discovered you were powerless. Number two, you found that there is a power. But there's a third thing that you had to make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of this God as you understood him. Meaning, whoever your God is, and you discovered one in your Seventh-day Adventist church in Somerset, but you didn't just have to say I'm powerless and that he's powerful. You had to begin to what, be willing to do what? allow him to take care of you. What was that like for you? Um, it wasn't easy when I first joined the church. Let me say this. I gave up the heron and cooking just like that. Mm. But I struggled with the alcohol. I would go to liquor stores on my way home and buy a flask of scotch or something, like a store where I think nobody knew me. Mm -hmm. And I would go home and I would play mm. with it on a Friday night. Yes. So relapse is a part of recovery. It may not yes. all happen right away, but you were willing. And I think the point that I want to bring out here for in this presentation is this next most important step is one thing to get to a point where food addictions have taken your life or you discover that you need a higher power to get over alcohol. But you need to be having a willingness is an attitude that says, you know, I'm going to willing to trust instead of try to break this addiction. And I wanted you to talk, talk to me about the trusting experience, finding feelings again, because your abandonment by your father, your neglect by your brothers and sisters, this need to prove yourself. You were using a lot of willing and trying, 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 but a willpower. But now you're saying you came to a place of trusting and being willing, being open. Talk to me about that emotional experience now, a willingness 
to trust. So I remember nobody in the church knew, but Morty Williams again, he pulled me aside one Saturday and said, come here a second, I want to talk to you. He said, I can smell it. I said, huh? He said, I can smell the liquor. I said, yeah, Morty, man, I'm, I'm struggling in that area. He said, you need to ask God to remove it. If you're going to play with God, he's not going to remove it. You have to take God at his word when he says, I won't leave you or forsake you. So I was learning scriptures as I was going. And I remember this Saturday, he and Pastor Wilson, they got me together and they prayed with me. And they said, God, by asking you now to take it away from him. And I'll never forget it, Dr. James. When we left the church that Saturday, up until my daughter goes 22, I mean, sorry, my daughter goes 30 on September the 22nd. My birthday is today, by the way. Happy birthday, Kirk. Uh, thank you. And my daughter goes 30, September the 22nd. I want to say it's been 30 years without mm-hmm. relapse, Dr. James. No heroin, no cocaine, no alcohol, no marijuana. Congratulations. 30 years of trusting and submitting my will to God that God has kept me clean. I want to acknowledge you today for not just being a great father, not just being an outstanding community citizen, but also taking it one day at a time. That you came to a place in your life where you discovered your life had become powerless. There are many people out there today listening whose life is powerless to sugar. Others is powerless to cocaine. Someone else is powerless powerless to heroin. Someone else may be powerless to a pornography addiction. But they've come to a place where they need, realize they need to turn over to a higher power. Many other people listening are uncomfortable with this conversation. Mm. So we have a culture clash. Some who control the medical profession or perhaps the mental health profession or perhaps the social profession who are uncomfortable with the notion that we're introducing a power outside of yourself. But there are many others who found that this way of thinking has been causing Great breakthroughs. You're one, for example, who said from your tradition, your community of faith, you found access. Someone else has found access through the AA program. Someone else has found access to help through narcotics addiction uh, 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 recovery programs. The fact of the matter is, in this particular breakthrough process, let's just kiss and say goodbye to deadly addictions required. Mm. One, an acknowledgement that you had rock bottom. Your wife had left you. Your girlfriend had left you, you really felt depressed, and you were actually living in a shelter, rock bottom. But number two, you said, you know, I have to turn my life over to a higher power. And though it may not be scientific or in a prescription bottle or a doctor can write it as in the office, you found it at Morty Williams' church. Mm-hmm. In there, you discovered not a text, but you found a person who was strong enough that you could trust him. Yeah. And number three, you decide you'd be willing, not willful, but willing. The difference is willful is you trying, willing is you trusting. One of the biggest issues when we have abandonment by fathers, neglect by siblings, is we can lose the capacity to trust, to be vulnerable, to be emotionally connected. And you discovered a new way to be born again, that you can begin to feel and love, receive love, and be give, give love because somebody recognized the dignity in you. I want to thank you for being courageous enough to come today to address the fact that at a point in your life where you were losing control, that what you were doing was eating you, 
And the habits and lifestyle not only affected you physically, but affected you productively in your relationship. But somehow or the other, you found the courage to turn it around. I want to thank you for joining me here today, my friend. Yes. And stay with me. Let's just kiss and say goodbye to the things that are eating you, possessing you, and controlling you. How to do it? Come to that place where you recognize, hey, it's done. Give up the game. Number two, be okay with the fact there's something bigger. You don't know its name, but you're going to trust it. Number three, be willing to use his way and not your way, and a change can come about. Join me next week as we continue with our series, Let's Just Kiss and Say Goodbye with Dr. James. Happy birthday, Kirk. Thank you. I appreciate you. I don't, I don't see no present. <laughs> okay, I got a little something <laughs> before you come your way. Thank you very much. This is Dr. Stanley James. Thank you for joining me today in Let's Just Kiss and Say Goodbye. This episode of Best Health has been sponsored by The Phoenix Store, where your health is our priority for a better life. You have been listening to Best Health, presented by The Royal Gazette and RG Mag, a new podcast series with the best health expertise in Bermuda. Thank you for listening.